My name is Matt, by the way, if you don't know me, married to Joe, who was lead us in some uh, songs of worship just a moment ago. Uh, we're working through the book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible. Um, so if you want to find the uh, book of Exodus um, in your own Bible, you're very welcome to. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, the words will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me in a moment or two. And uh, this, the Exodus story tells the remarkable story of the, the Israelites, the people of God, and how God led them out of where they were in. They were in slavery. They were in oppression. It was an evil governmental power of Pharaoh and the Egyptians who held them captive. And the Exodus story tells how God rescues them, he redeems them, he draws them out of Egypt, brings them through the Red Sea, through their beautiful Passover story, and then he leads them into his promises and his plans for them. Um, and it's a wonderful story to, to work through because it speaks right into our own life and our own situation and how God rescues us out of the things, the slavery, the things that entangle us and leads us into life with him, if you're a believer in Jesus. And last week we were talking about the, the Ten Commandments, um, which if you missed that, then I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. But if you did miss it, don't worry, because actually what we're going to do over the next well, two weeks, next couple of weeks, then we're going to stop and do an Advent Christmas series, and then we'll come back into the new year. We're going to work through the Ten Commandments one by one. Now, we're doing that for a reason, because one of the biggest questions that confronts us as a society and confronts you is, what does it mean to be human? What, what does it mean to be you? There's all sorts of questions and debates about even what is it to be a man, what it is to be a woman. How do we live in the world today? And there's so much confusion, so many questions being asked. And the wonderful thing about the Ten Commandments is that there we, we, we find some of the answers to some of the most basic fundamental questions of life. But the main answer it gives us is that the Ten Commandments, they actually tell us who God is and what God is like. And if you really want to know who you are, that's absolutely the best place to start. Because we, we often start the journey of trying to discover ourselves by kind of looking inward, looking into ourselves. I don't know about you, but I often find that there's not a lot going on there. <laughs> you know, I'm going to just go and spend an afternoon away with my thoughts. And after about 20 minutes, I think, I don't really have that many thoughts. You know, you run out quite easily. But actually, when we delve into God and who he is, we find this depth and this richness. But we also discover that we're made in his image. That's what the Bible tells us. So then when we, when we delve into who God is, that's when we begin to discover who we really are. So that's why we're going to go through these week by week is to discover a little bit more about God and a bit more about ourselves. 
And last week we were asking the, the, the question, very big question, of should I keep the Ten Commandments? Are they just this legalistic thing that I, that I have to do? And if I don't do this, I will be condemned and struck down. And the answer is, should I follow the Ten Commandments? Well, well yes and no. Because you know, if you keep them, will God love you more? No. No. Or if you, if you break the commandments, will God love you less? No. But will following them actually help you to love God better? Yes. Yes, they will. They absolutely will. It says in 1 John verse 5, um, I think it should appear here. Here we go. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So as we go through this week by week, we're not trying to put a burden on you. We're actually trying to release you from burdens. Trying to help you to discover who God is and how to live in this world. Uh, and we're going to do the first, first commandment today. So we're going to read verses 2 and 3. It says, it's actually verses 1, 2 and 3. It says, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And this is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Let me pray. Jesus, we want to take these words so seriously. We don't believe the Bible is just you know, a kind of ancient guide that's full of maybe some interesting mysticism or some clever ideas, and we can just pick and choose the bits we like. God, we believe this is your word to us. This is truth, perhaps the only thing in our world that's really true. And we want to build our lives on it because we want to build our lives on you and on who you are because we know that's absolutely the best way to live. We pray as we study these words this morning that you would speak to us, guide us, and lead us ever closer to you, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, you may think, you may read that first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, and think, oh, brilliant. Number one, check, <laughs> done. Completed that one, what's next? That can, that can be, if you're a believer in Jesus here, that might be exactly what you think, because you shall have no other gods before me. Well, I believe in Jesus, therefore, job done. Game over, let's move on to the next one. But then we come across this fascinating verse, which uh, might seem a bit bizarre to you, but in Ezekiel chapter 20, where it's talking about the Israelites, who this Exodus story is all about. It says, cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you. Do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And then it goes on to say, although my phone is refusing to make it on to say, but they rebelled against me and they were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on. 
nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. And the story of the people of God is that they didn't listen to this commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Because what God is saying to them is those idols you had in, in Egypt, the ones that God defeats through all those plagues where he defeats Pharaoh, one by one he's destroying the false gods of Egypt. But the Israelites went back to those things. Even though they'd, they've, they'd been redeemed, they've, they've, they've found the true God, yet somehow they went back and worshipped the things that had let them down before. And the thing is that can be really true for us, that actually when it's talking about have no other God before me, it doesn't necessarily mean all the different gods that you might, all the different kind of religious systems that we might hear about. Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism. We can think of those things. But actually the things that the Israelites gave themselves to or just the detestable idols around them. And those are often the things that will lead us away. Because these, these, maybe these verses sound to you, maybe if you're here and you're not a Christian, you might think, well, they sound a bit exclusive, right? How can God say that? You know, we live in a pluralistic culture, which means we value lots of different things equally. And we can say that can be true, but this opposing idea can also be true. This is my truth, tell me yours. This is what I believe, but what you believe, even if they contradict, surely they're equally valid. That's how we kind of tend to think. There's a movie with Will Ferrell in it. Um, can't remember the name of the movie. The Ballad of something or other. And he plays this character called Ricky Bobby. Right? And Ricky Bobby is, uh, is a, a racing car driver. And he crashes his car and he gets out of his car and he thinks he's on fire. He's not actually on fire, but he thinks he's on fire. And he runs around this racetrack and he says, help me Jesus, help me Allah, help me Jewish God, help me Tom Cruise, help me Oprah Winfrey. He's like asking for help from just anything he can think of. And so often that's how we behave. We just kind of pick, help me something. Surely all these things are equally valid, so I'll just pick whichever one today I'm most comfortable with. But actually it's, it's okay for us to say as Christians that no, what we, Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. So it's okay for us to say, no, no, we, we believe that we should have no other God but Jesus Christ. Because actually, if you, if you think it through, it, that, that's fairly fundamental to the Christian faith that we believe that Jesus is God, but for, for a Jew or a Muslim, that would be incredibly offensive. <laughs> because their holy books would teach them that Jesus isn't a God, that in Islam he's just a prophet and he's not God. Say to a Jewish person that Jesus is God, they would find that offensive. But then we could say, well, we don't want to offend them, so we'll just, we'll just pretend that Jesus isn't God. Well, then we just, we've just kind of washed away all that we believe about Christianity. Exclusive claims don't necessarily have to be a negative thing. And just because we don't necessarily stand in agreement doesn't mean you can't cooperate with people. It doesn't mean you can't love people. 
Because you might say, well, all through history, we've had all these religious wars because of these issues, because people hold on to these exclusive claims. They say, our religion is right, so curse all the others and destroy all the others. It doesn't have to be like that. We can live in peace with people. We can even work alongside people with opposing beliefs and values. We can cooperate with people. It doesn't mean we have to necessarily agree with everything they believe. And you might think that that sounds, what I'm saying sounds a bit, a bit arrogant, right? For God to make this claim, you shall have no other God before me. You think, well, that's a bit, that's a bit arrogant. Um, and if, if, you know, if you were... Uh, if you were reaching the end of your mobile phone contract, you know, and you ring up, or, or, uh, or maybe Vodafone call you up, and they say, oh, you're reaching the end of your, of your contract, um, you know, would you like, uh, we can upgrade you, we can give you a new handset, the iPhone 10X4 Plus, whatever thing. Um, and you say, oh, actually, no, I was going to move to T-Mobile instead. And if Vodafone says to you, you shall have no other mobile phone company before us, and they just hang up the phone, you would think, well, that's, that's a bit arrogant, right? You know, they don't really get to say that. And they don't, because it's just your mobile phone company. But, but the thing is, God, God's a father. Fathers get to have an exclusive claim over their, over their children. If God just said, oh, it's okay, you just, you just have another, you just pick another father this week. You know, think about that if you said that to your kids or if you said that to your own parent. I'm just going to pick another one. Yeah, it doesn't work, I'll try someone else. It doesn't work like that in family life. Now, that's not how God wants you to relate to him. He's not just a distant deity. He's not someone just treat in a kind of commercial consumerist fashion. Oh, Jesus isn't really working for me right now. I'll go and find someone else instead. He's a, he's a father. So he can say, have no other father before me. And you might think, okay, well, you know, still, you know, I'm, I'm not like these dumb Israelites. You know, I've not given my life to worship any ancient idols. You know, from memory, I don't think I've ever done that. You know, when, when we were first... Um, Starting this church, we used to meet in a venue called the Mirror Center, and they had a Buddha on wheels. It was a quite remarkable thing. Uh, and it would, they would move it around the building. So some Sunday mornings, the first thing our setup team had to do was to wheel out the false idol, basically, the, the Buddha on wheels that was, in, that was in the middle of the room. And you might think, well, I've never, I've never had a, a false god. I've never, had a, I've never worshipped a bit of wood or a rock or whatever. But the Bible defines these... This here is, is, it's anything we put before God. I have no other God before me. Anything, anything that stands in the way of God, anything that diverts our attention, that grabs our gaze, that pulls us away from, from who he is. Because the reality is that everybody worships something. Everybody does whether you're a Christian here or not, we all worship something. It's just a question of what you're going to worship, what it is that you're going to give your attention to, your, your time to. All of us have idols in our lives 
They're not necessarily bad things. Sometimes it's a good thing that's become a God thing. And at that point, that's when it can become a, a bad thing. When it so dominates your life and takes over. So what I want to do is I want to ask us a few questions to help you discern what might be some idols or some gods or some things in your life that come before God. The first question I want to ask you is, what, what do you love? You know, what do you really cherish? And there's nothing wrong with loving things, absolutely. We're, we're created as beings to love. It's part of, partly how God's made us. But when that love, that desire becomes greater than your love for Jesus, then that can become a problem. And it could be something really wonderful and healthy like your family. But if you suddenly find your, your family life is all driven around this one being, this one member of your family, and everything you do, all the decisions you make are dictated by what's going to be good for little Johnny, that can be a dangerous thing. If all your decisions are based around, well, we've got to keep this, this little person happy. So the way you spend your money, the places that you live, what you do with your time, it constantly goes through the filter in your head of this thing here. We've got to make sure this works. We've got to make sure we protect this family. And that can become such an overwhelming thing that in the end, it kind of takes over. It becomes something that in the end just becomes greater than than who God is. Could be, could be for you for, for relationships. Maybe you're here and you're not in any kind of relationship with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or anything like that. But it's become such a thing in your head that you must have that. You spend all your life desiring and running after this thing. When I get that, that'll make me happy. And it won't. You're kind of them, you're making that future person into some kind of savior. When, when he suddenly arrives in my life, I'll be happy. You've put them in the place of Jesus at that point. So what do you love? It's good to ask yourself that question. Another question is, what do you, what do you trust? What do you trust? And particularly in, in Amsterdam, I remember hearing someone say that if you want to discern what the false gods are in a city, you look at which are the highest buildings. And you, in Amsterdam, it would be the, the financial district that would have the tallest buildings. And money is a huge idol in our city. For some of you, it's probably a massive idol. And it offers you security, hope, peace. It offers you all these things that it can't really deliver on. Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Some of you, you need to say that to your heart maybe every day. I cannot serve God and money. It's not like a 70-30 arrangement. It's a 100% thing. It's one or the other. What are you going to pick? 
Last week, I told the story of the uh, rich young ruler in Luke 18 who, who comes to Jesus and he lists off all these, all these commandments. He starts listing the Ten Commandments. I've done that one, I've done that one, I've done that one. What else do I need to do? And Jesus tells him to, to go and sell all his possessions, give everything away to the poor. And I said last week that Jesus isn't, he's not giving us a new commandment. It's not like commandment number 11, give away all your money. But what Jesus is discerning, that there's an idol in this life, that for this young man, money owned him. It was his master. And Jesus is he's trying to set him free. And what happens in the story is that it says that, that the rich young ruler went away because he didn't agree with Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't say he went away to kind of go and bathe in his bath of piles of cash and just think, oh, well, I'm glad I didn't listen to that religious nut job. All this money makes me so happy now. It says he went away sorrowful, full of sorrow, sadness. He didn't go away happy. And yet money will say to you, trust in me, will make you happy. And it won't. I remember a, a friend of mine in, um, in 2008 when there was the big financial crisis, he couldn't sleep. Night after night, he really struggled to get to sleep because he was worrying about the value of his house, the value of his pension, how he was going to pay for his kids to go to university. W was it going to be okay? And no one could really give him any answers because no one really knew. But the thing, he, he, the thing he'd built his trust on was crumbling all around him. And it, it destroyed him. He, couldn't, he, couldn't, he didn't know how to deal with it because it was, it was his idol. And I think sometimes, sometimes you just need to take some radical steps to just kill those things off. I think I'd encourage you to, particularly when it comes to money, it's just one of the big God's in our city. I encourage you to, to keep putting it to death. Just don't let it have any hold on your life. Because it will rob you of your joy. It will rob you of your happiness. And what I'd encourage you to do is, because for some of you, if Jesus came to you and he said what he said to this rich young ruler, you would respond in exactly the same way. Or, or maybe even just simpler, if Jesus came to you and said, oh, that bonus you got last year, why don't you just give that away? How would that make you feel? Or that pay rise you got at the start of the year, why don't you give that away every month? Or even something like, just have one less coffee a week and give that money away. How would that make you feel? Oh, who's, who's this guy to tell me what to do with my money? That's your idol speaking in your heart. Maybe some of you here, you're thinking, oh, sooner or later, hopefully he's going to stop talking about money. <laughs> Actually, the Bible says an awful lot about money. Jesus talks about it a lot because he recognizes it. It's a huge issue that, that can, that will, it's something that stands in front of God. And if you don't get rid of that thing, it will harm you, it will hurt you. And my encouragement would be to, to, to set a course in your life where you embark on an adventure of just 
generosity. I'm not saying give everything away, but right now, just give away what you have faith for. It might just be 10 euros or whatever loose change you've got in your pocket, but just go on an adventure of giving money away. I'm not saying, this isn't me saying give it all to the church. You should give money to the church, but there's lots of different ways you can give money away. But set yourself on an adventure to do that. And it will be an adventure. It will be scary. There'll be times when you think, what on earth are we doing? But it will, it's a beautiful, fun journey to go on. Joe and I have, have had lots of moments where we thought, what have we done? Like, we could have actually quite used that money, you know? There's been, actually been long seasons of our life where every month, not just one random month, but month after month, the, the amount of money that we're kind of in the red by the end of the month is the amount of money that we've been giving away. You say, well, that doesn't, just don't give the money away, then you'll be fine. But we just said, no, we're just going to keep going on the adventure. And sometimes God has miraculously provided. We could tell you some amazing stories of God's provision. But other times we've just sacrificially given it away. <laughs> because what's actually important is not me having enough money. But I want, I want, to, I want to know joy, <laughs> you know? I want to know Jesus. And often, I'm not saying that you give money away and then you're immediately happy. Because there's been lots of times where, where it's been a bit frustrating. You know, we've argued about it. We've got a bit grumpy. You know, the kids need new shoes. No shoes for you. Church needs the money. You don't have shoes. <laughs> but the reality is that each of those times when we've not really had enough to go around, there's been something beautiful that God's been doing us to lead us into him, to trust in him. You meet so many people that will go and spend, uh, um, or maybe this is from your background, where you're, you're from, but if you go and live and spend any time with some of the neediest people on this planet, what you'll find is huge need, but also huge joy. I heard someone uh, talking yesterday who works in uh, he goes into prisons, uh, mainly in Uganda, but in lots of parts of East Africa. Uh, and he, because the prison system there is very corrupt, so he goes in to kind of help to rescue people and protect people. You know, he's telling me about a, a lady he found that was in chains. He said, why is this lady in chains? And they said, well, she's not actually done anything wrong. She's, like, well, she's in prison in chains, and she's not doing anything wrong. He said, no, it's her... her her husband had done something wrong, but they couldn't find him, so they just arrested her instead. So he goes into prisons to, to, to help people like that. But what his story again and again was he found that even some of these uh, women in horrible situations in jail, they still had a, a joy and a peace. And there was something about, him, something about them that, that uh, really blessed him and helped him. I think part of that maybe is because some of the idols we have in our Western culture aren't really an issue for them because they've never really experienced what it is to have wealth and money. So that idol has never been a problem for them. So they've found this wonderful joy. 
Another question that we could ask is, what can you, what do you keep going back to? What's the thing that you can't stop doing? The thing that keeps pulling you back time after time. Maybe that might be an idol in your life. Or another question would be, what, what are you afraid of? What keeps you awake at night? What robs you of your joy? And the thing is, if it was just one false guard, it might be quite easy for you to spot. Oh, I've got that issue. Oh, we can solve that one. But what's true of us is often true of that passage we read in in Ezekiel, that it's often a, a multitude of different gods competing for your attention all the time. You don't have to walk through our city, and if you look closely, you'll see all sorts of images and things competing for your attention, offering you hope and satisfaction and joy and fulfillment. Our life is surrounded by things, offering us so much but delivering so little and the, the, perhaps the worst of them all, the worst God of all is it's probably you. It's probably yourself. Because so often we can, the thing we really idolize is ourself. Oscar Wilde said, to love oneself is the beginning of a lifelong romance. It's a dreadful one. So many of us, again and again, put yourself first. Listen to what you keep telling yourself is going to make you happy. All the time, demanding so much of yourself. And that could be a God that can, can cause you all sorts of harm. And you might think, well, why does this, why does this matter? So what? You know, I like to make myself happy. You know, what's wrong with that? So what? You know, what's wrong with having a bit of money? You know, so what? But the thing is, this, this matters because it says in, in 1 Samuel, do not turn aside from following the Lord. Serve the Lord with all of your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. It says in Jonah, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. See, idols are they're impotent. They're empty. They offer you so much and deliver so little. Again and again and again. And they keep offering you so much and delivering so little to you. And what happens is, is that once you begin to give yourself to these things, they begin to take over. I was on a plane yesterday coming back from England and as we were walking off the plane, this lady was carrying a bag 
from the Amsterdam Fashion Institute. And it said on it, it said, once you care, then you're, and I can't repeat the last word, but basically it means, you know, then you're in trouble. You're screwed, but much harsher way of saying that. And it was about, it was about fashion. It was saying, once you care, then what it means is once you give yourself to that, then it, it takes over. You know, when you begin to, not just, oh, I, you know, I like to care about what I wear, there's nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes a thing that so dominates your life that you're constantly thinking about your image, what you look like, and then, so then you're in trouble. It's got you, it will take over. You're then on, a, on this lifelong romance tied to this false god, always dictating to you what you need, what will make you happy. And the most shocking thing is that these false gods, they, they, they even offer you release from themselves. Have you noticed that? So often we, get, we worry about money. How's it going to turn out? How am I going to plan for our security? Yeah, it's, it's money that offers you or that tries to offer you the solution. It says, don't worry, just earn a little bit more and then you'll be fine. And then you, you, know, you get a pay rise and you start earning a little bit more and then you suddenly realize you're not fine because now you want this, this and that. And it keeps upping the bar all the time. It never fulfills you, but it keeps calling you back. And it keeps saying, if you just have more of me, then you'll be happy. If you just have more money, then you'll be happy. But then if you, but you think, the thing that's making me unhappy is money. And yet it keeps offering you the solution. It keeps offering you salvation, but it doesn't have it. It can't give it to you. It's, it's incapable of doing it. It says in Ecclesiastes that these idols, they say to us, peace, peace, where there is no peace. They offer you hope where there is no hope. They offer you joy where there isn't any joy. In Isaiah, it talks about idols and it says if one cries to it, it does not answer or save them from their trouble. They won't save you. They can't save you. What you need is, and I'm not saying the answer is, well, therefore I have to somehow save myself. I somehow just have to try a bit harder to kind of wrestle my way away from these things. No, you need Jesus. He's the one that comes and redeems you, pulls you out of this slavery, this, this bondage you find yourself into, locked into with this idol. He's the one that comes and gives you freedom and liberty that sets you free. And all these times, these, these false gods will try and call you back, but you can stand firm on, no, that's not true. I'm not going to serve I'm not going to try and serve two masters. 
I'm going to serve Jesus because that's where I find my hope and my joy and my freedom, my delight. It's all found in him. Because, you see, this, this call that God gives to us, you shall have no other gods before me, is not arrogant. It's not exclusive. It's actually, it's, it's an expression of his goodness and his love. He's saying to you, I know what's best. It's your father calling you and saying, I know what's really good for you. It's to follow me not all these other things that compete for your attention. It goes on to say in in verse 5 of Exodus 20, which we'll look at a bit more next week, but it says, you should not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. (laughs) Jealousy can sound like a negative thing, but it's not. It's a wonderfully positive thing if, if it comes in the right way. God loves you jealously. It's like how how a husband loves their bride, just jealously. Just this fierce, passionate love. That's how God loves you. So when we read this, this command, you shall have no other gods before me, it can sound harsh and restrictive. It's not at all. It's full of love. He's saying there's a jealous God who's calling you and saying, follow me. It will do you so much good. It'll be the best decision that you ever make. There's so much more to say, but I'm actually going to stop there. In a moment, the the band are going to come come on the stage and lead us in some songs. But what I want us to do is, if you're comfortable, you don't have to, but why don't we just stand together? If you prefer to stay seated, that's fine. But I think it's really important that we, we, we take a decision, or you take a decision in your heart and just say, because it's, you know, there's that one decision we make in our life and say, no, I am going to, I'm not a Christian, but I want to become a Christian. I want to forsake those things and follow him and him alone. But there's also a, a regular decision that you have to make, which is why we gather here on a Sunday is to say to our hearts, Jesus is better, I'm going to follow him. And there's a couple of ways we can respond and do that. Firstly, if, if the issue of money just is, has such a hold on you and you know it and you'd rather I would stop talking about it, maybe this morning you just need to give some away. Maybe that's just a really practical thing you can do. And it might be just whatever loose coins you have in your pocket. The, the amount isn't important, but it might be important for you just to take a step of faith. Um, um, it's five cents, but it's, it's, it's symbolic of I'm not going to trust this thing anymore. Just give it away. Another thing we can do is we can take communion together. This is a meal that Jesus took with his disciples. He broke the bread and he drank the wine. And he told us to keep doing it in remembrance of him because it's a moment where we can realign our life and where we've been firing off in all different directions, running after all sorts of false gods. We come back and when we say, no, Jesus has done it. He's the one that's rescued me. He's the one that leads me out of bondage to these things and leads me into freedom in him. 
And as you take that communion, you can make a decision in your heart. No, I'm going to follow Jesus again. And you can ask for the Holy Spirit to come and help you to do that. Because you can't do it by yourself. You need him to lead you out. Um, this is a meal we take every week. And it's, it's a meal for believers in Jesus. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, we just ask you to sit this moment of the meeting out. And what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. Uh, and as we sing together, just come to the front and grab a cup and a piece of bread. You might want someone to pray with. Go and find a friend or a family member and ask them to pray with you. Let me pray now. Jesus, we, we just want to declare in our hearts that we want to have no other God before you. And we're aware that even, even this week, maybe even this morning, we're aware of things that have been calling our attention away from you, that have stood in your way, that have clouded our vision, things that have caused us to fear and to worry, things we've been trusting on that have let us down, things that we've been loving in, a, in an inappropriate way. And we, we just want to say, God, we... We want those things in their right place. We want them to be good things that bless us, but not God things that control us. And we just want to say, Jesus, I, I don't want to try and serve two masters and find my life a mess. I want, to, I want to serve and follow you and you alone. We pray, Jesus, that you would come right now by your Holy Spirit. And we can, we can only walk in freedom when we, when we walk in the Spirit. And we walk in the goodness of what you've done for us and for who you are. We need your help. We confess it, God, and we pray, come and help us now by your power.